morning, everyone. I uh, first noticed it last night, but uh, it's true again this morning. That how many of you remember the show, The, the A-Team? There's a line from that show that stuck in my mind last night. I love it when a good plan comes together. And I think about this particular weekend. I mean, several weeks ago, before Matt and the family left for China, uh, several of the men in the church said, Matt, don't even think about trying to preach when you get home that weekend because you're going to be so severely jet-lagged. We got you covered. So I ended up being volunteered to speak today and last night. But the point was, Matt's over in China. Jerome is here. I've been in Atlanta all week, and so kind of independently, the three pieces of today's service fell together. Jerome leading the music, Matt leading communion, me speaking this morning. Was it our plan? No, I think it was God's plan, and that's, I think, why I love it when a good plan comes together, because it was his plan in the beginning, and and it's good. God is good all the time, right? That was weak. In 2002, I was in Ethiopia, not in Ethiopia, in, in uh, Zambia for two weeks. And whenever anybody in a church context there said, God is good, immediately the audience responded, all the time. And then the speaker would say, all the time. And you would say? So let's try that again. God is good. All the time. Okay, you got it. Remember that the next time. Now, that was good. My topic this morning is, is prayer, and, and I have to confess that prayer for me is one of the most difficult topics for me to speak on, because especially when I prepare this kind of a message, I, I, it just reminds me how kind of woefully inadequate my own prayer life is. And so I'm speaking a little bit more to myself than I am to you for the next few moments, but hopefully you can sympathize with, with my plight. I'm... You know, when I think about the, the reason why I'm actually speaking on prayer today, though, is I have, I have to blame uh, Father Tim Cavanaugh. How many of you know who Father Tim Cavanaugh is? One. Okay, last night we only had half this many people, and two people know who he is. Okay, Father Tim Cavanaugh is actually a fictitious character. He's an Episcopal priest. He's the main character of a series of novels written by Jan Karen um, that are sometimes called the Mitford series or the Father Tim novels. Um, and uh, he's, he's this kind of diminutive uh, little, little guy, but just a real wonderful example of, of a, a godly man uh, living out his, his life in this little community called Mitford, hence the name, the Mitford series. But when Jan started writing these books back in the 1970s is when we first started reading them, as she was still writing them. And we got through about the first four and then got distracted and, and never finished the series. Well, last spring... I saw them sitting on my bookshelf, and I said, I'm going to read those again. I haven't read them in a long time. So I, I read through the first four and says, all right, the rest of them are now available online. So I downloaded the rest of them to my Kindle and read all nine series. And I noticed that about book five, it, it, I became aware, it, just the phrase jumped out of it. He kept mentioning this prayer that never fails. And he, and he kept encouraging others, and himself, you know, we need to go pray that prayer that never fails, or you need to go pray that prayer that never fails. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I can't recall his, his ever having actually Mention what that prayer is. And so I kept reading, and then, then it finally dawned on me what the prayer that never fails is. 
It's a four-word phrase buried in the middle of what we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer. I want to share that with you this morning and talk about that. I want to begin reading in Matthew chapter 6. We also have it later in Luke in a slightly different context. But I want to begin reading in Matthew chapter 6 at verse 3 because he kind of sets the stage. And by the way, I'm doing it the old-fashioned way. You know, he can have his iPad. I'm going to do paper, and, and that's it. No slides today. But there's a reason for that that will become clear in a while. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning at uh, verse 5, actually. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go to your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in heaven, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. But when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father already knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then, like this. Now, most of us have memorized this prayer from the King James Version, so I'm going to switch. I'm even going to invite you to recite it with me as I read. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, the prayer actually stops there. But somewhere along the line in the copying of the manuscripts, because they didn't have Xerox machines or anything else that they could copy, so they did it all by hand. Somewhere in the process of making copies of this, one of the scribes inserted the doxology at the end that has become part of our typical prayer. But I just wanted you to know that's actually not part of the original prayer, that little doxology at the end, but we're going to add it anyway. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, the key phrase in this template for prayer is going to be our focus today, and that phrase is the four words, thy will be done. That's it. That, to me, is the prayer that never fails. Four simple words, thy will be done. Why is this, however, the prayer that never fails? There are several logical reasons, but I want to focus on two for right now. First, it never fails because God is omniscient. We're already told in the preamble to that prayer that God knows what you need before you even ask him. Notice the operative word is need not want. He knows what you need before you even ask him. How does he know what you need before you even ask him? Because God is outside of time. God always was. He is. He always will be. He's outside of time. He actually created time for us. Time was created so that we would be able to mark the changing of the seasons, so that we would be able to see the progress of change so that we would get to understand his long-suffering, his patience with us. But God knows what you need before you even ask. We 
We saw that in verse 8. Do not be like them, the Gentiles, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. In verses 31 and 32, we find this also in Luke chapter 12, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? By the way, those are things you need. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you, that you need them all. Luke chapter 12, verse 27 says that he clothes the lilies of the field. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He even feeds the birds of the air. Back to Mark chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 6 again, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he asks this, are you not more valuable than they? He knows what you need. He knows what they need. He provides for them. They're just the birds of the field. You were created in his image. Do you not think that he would care for you at least as much, if not more? But he also knows our hearts. In other words, the things that we long for. And for the most part, the things that we long for in our hearts, in the end, are going to do us harm. Luke mentions this in chapter 21, verse 34, where Jesus says, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day, meaning the day of judgment, will suddenly come upon you like a trap. That's why he exhorts us not to set our hearts on material things that will wear out, not to set our hearts on, on, on the King James Version, and it carries over into other versions too, you know, dissipations and drunkenness. In other words, the lusts of the flesh. But instead, in chapter 6, verse 33 of Matthew, he says, seek first, the kingdom of God, and all these things, which means the things you actually need, will be added to you. Now, this prayer never fails, partly because God is omniscient, knows what you need before you even ask him. But the second thing that I want to point out is that don't forget, God is the one who created all things, and he is sovereign over all things that he has created. That includes all of us and everyone else in the planet, whether we acknowledge him or not. I always chuckle to myself whenever I encounter an atheist who has convinced himself that God doesn't exist. And I chuckle because his opinion doesn't matter. God exists whether he believes it or not. God is sovereign over all of his creation whether you believe it or not. Yeah, we think we make free choices all the time. But the truth of the matter is no choice is really free because every choice that we make is conditioned upon our experience or things that we have learned through school. Like, for example, how many times have you heard mothers tell their children, don't touch the stove, it's hot, you're going to burn yourself? Or how many of you have actually put your hand on a hot stove and burned yourself? Well, those are things that we learn that will condition our decision in the future. You know, I don't think I'm going to touch that stove because it's hot. 
and I'll probably burn myself. Where did that come from? So the choice to not touch that stove is conditioned by training from parents and possibly by experience if you've been dumb enough to actually do it. So God gives us a leash. Sometimes he gives us a long leash. But don't forget who's at the other end of the leash holding it. You know, God is sovereign over all of us. And so our opinions about whether he is in control or not don't matter because he is in control of all things. Now consider Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has plans for you. He has plans for you not to do you harm, but ultimately for your good. Now, some of his plans for us or some of the things that we experience in life may not feel so good at the time. Pastor Matt alluded to one of them, which I'll talk about a little bit more later. How can he give thanks for something that's going to, he knows is going to result in pain, suffering, and ultimately death? And yet he gives thanks. Why? Because God's plans are for good. In Romans 8, Paul puts it this way. All things work for the good of those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. The question is, do you believe that or not? Not everything seems good as we define good in the beginning. But sometimes God allows things that we would consider bad to happen in our lives for a variety of reasons. Sometimes because we need chastisement. We need to be corrected. Sometimes we need to be trained. And very frequently, we need to be prepared so that we can help others going through similar things to see that even in the midst of those, God is working for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. How then, or I should say, you know, how is it then that that this prayer that never fails always works? Because look at the alternatives. Either God's will will be done or it won't be done. It never fails because in the end, God's will will be done. What's the alternative? If God's will is not done, is he really sovereign over everything? I don't want to go there. In the end, that prayer never fails because God's will will be done. Because if it won't be done, he's not sovereign. He's not God. But he is God, whether we believe it or not. How then does the prayer that never fail work? I believe it works by conforming our will to his, our minds to his minds, our hearts to his heart. That's how it works. It doesn't change God. It changes us. Because we get to that point, regardless of our circumstances, where as we draw closer to his will and insist that his will, not ours, be done, it's described in Scripture as that peace that passes all understanding falls upon us. 
Because we know that regardless of whatever is going on in our lives, God is seated on the throne. God is in control. He has a purpose for everything that happens, and that purpose is designed for good. My good, your good, and perhaps through us, the good of others. One of the most dramatic examples of this in Scripture is actually in that picture that I've had up there on the screens all this time. If you don't recognize that picture, it's a, it's a depiction of, of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Setting the stage with the table, you know that this occurred at what we call the Last Supper. It was actually the Passover Seder. And we're told in Scripture that after the supper was ended, he took his 11, because now Judas had dropped out of the picture, he took the 11 with him into the Garden of Gethsemane, which means he went down the Kidron Valley up the other side to the Mount of Olives. He's there in the, in the, uh, the garden. He tells eight of the 11, wait here in the outer garden. And then he takes Peter, James, and John with him to kind of an inner garden, and he says, you wait here, I'm going to go over there and pray. And Matthew tells us that Jesus goes over and, and he prays and he, he says words more or less like this. He said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. After he prayed that, he went back, finds all the disciples. He finds Peter, James, and John asleep. He says, what, can't you sleep? Can't you pray with me for at least an hour? Of course, they were kind of embarrassed and because it had been a long day, they were tired, they had zonked off while he's over there praying by himself. And so Jesus goes back and he prays a second time. And Matthew tells us more or less the same words. Father, if it be possible, let this cup of suffering, is what he's referring to, let it pass from me. He wasn't looking forward to that. Yet he said again, yet not my will, but your will be done. So a second time he gets up, he goes back and Peter, James, and John are out like lights. Comments to them again. He goes back a third time. Now, all Matthew tells us, he doesn't repeat the words again, but he just says that Jesus went back a third time and prayed the same words. Now, we don't have the answer that the Father gave him, but we know from the result what the answer was. Sorry, son. Can't be that way. It can't pass. You have to drink from that cup. Now, sidebar here for a minute. Remember that passage. The next time you quote the verse that says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You usually get pushback from people. Why? That's a really arrogant claim, don't you think? What's the proof? I just told you what the proof is. Go to the garden. Three times he asked, is there any other way? The answer was, no, there is no other way. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. There's your answer from Scripture. He's not bragging. He's not crazy. He's got the testimony of the Father backing him up. Now, so much for the sidebar. Here comes the important question. How do we know that the things we need, we think we need, are actually in accordance with the will of God. It's in the book. Okay? You want to know the will of God? Read the book. Everything he wants us to know in this life is in the book. If you want to know his will, this is where you're going to find it. If you have trouble understanding this, 
That's why you have pastors and teachers and elders. They will help you understand it. We will help you understand it. But that's how you get to know his will, by reading his word. A.W. Tozer offered some insight here as well. He said, it is futile to beg God to act contrary to his revealed purposes. To pray with confidence, the petitioner must be certain that his request falls within the broad will of God for his people. You can ask all day for something, but if it's not in accordance with his will, you're not going to get it. I mean, you can beg till the cows come home, but you're not going to get it if it's not in his will. So two points should be considered here. The first is actually three points. Come on, they laughed last night. And they, were, they haven't even had a good night's sleep, right? So the first is, and we've already covered this, God knows what you need, which may not be what you want before you ask him. God knows what you need. Second, if you ask for something that God knows will do you no good in the end, then you can ask and keep on asking, but you won't get it. If God knows it's bad for you, you're not going to get it. Third, if you're asking for something that God already knows you need, you can be assured that you will get it. Maybe not immediately, but eventually. So the second point flows from the first one. God will answer your prayer. And his answer is going to come in one of three forms. Yes, no, wait. Yes, no, wait. Yes answers we like, because usually that's the answer we're expecting. I mean, why ask God for something if he's not going to say yes and agree with you? So the yes answer is usually the one that we're looking for. And then when they come immediately, especially, yes answers we understand. We can see them. No answers are hard to accept because we've already convinced ourselves that this is something we need, even though it's really maybe something we want. But we've already convinced ourselves it's something we need. But when he gives us a no answer, that's hard to accept. And so a lot of times we stubbornly deny that he's given us an answer. Wait answers, however, are the most difficult because it's not a clear yes, it's not a clear no, and we're kind of left hanging. There's no point, however, in shutting our eyes and refusing to admit that a wait answer has been received. It should then be clear that we shall need to trust him for a more definitive answer somewhere down the road. Also recognize the fact that a wait answer is not necessarily a no. It may, in fact, become a yes. So take hope when the answer doesn't seem to come right away. You've probably received a wait. Now, I, I trust by now that everything I've said up until this point, you've been sort of applying to your own personal life, and you've been thinking about things that you've asked for in the past, and, and you got either a wait or a no answer and didn't like that. Or you're thinking about something maybe you should start praying about now or, or maybe uh, someone that you should be praying about now. All of these principles obviously apply to our personal prayers. 
but they also apply to our corporate prayers as well. And I want to uh, share one with you, a corporate topic that um, the, the leaders of the church have been, been talking about for, for quite a while now, and perhaps pass on some information to you of which you are not aware. Um, and that principally concerns where we meet. Um, you feel it a little more on Sunday morning than we feel it at night, but things are getting tight here. And first of all, that's good news because it means we've been growing and we have been growing. It, it's, it's really kind of weird, and, and Pastor Matt has shared this with us before, that it, it's weird that this summer we grew. I mean, in the summertime, that's when most people, you know, disappear into their vacation spots, and attendance usually goes down in the summer. Ours went up this summer. And even more surprisingly, and many of you who started coming here this summer are still here now. Praise the Lord. We haven't scared you away. And you realize Matt's a really good teacher. And uh, we're blessed by him, by God, through him. And that's good news. But the, the bad news is it's starting to get tight in here. It's especially getting tight on the other side of this wall in those little small rooms that we use for classes and nursery. And just not enough space. Now, the other thing of which you might not be aware is that our initial lease uh, was up on this building, so we spent a good portion of time this summer renegotiating an extension to the lease on this building, and there were sort of two different options on the table. One is stay where we are. The other was purchase the whole building and take over the whole thing. What was never on the table was lease the whole building and take over the whole thing because obviously there is an office on the other side of that wall, the owner of the building, that's his office, and he was looking at either staying there for now or selling the whole building so he could go build another office for himself. So we never had the option of leasing the whole building because that would put him out of place. Um, so we did actually sign a two-year extension, but that two-year extension came with an 11% increase in cost. So we have now a two-year extension. But what seemed fairly clear... We're not certain about this, but what seems fairly clear is we have a two-year extension on this building, but we may not get another extension on this building because there were other people out there who were not only wanting to rent this building but willing to pay more. So this may be our last two years in this facility, so that faces us with a question, all right? What do we do? What kind of time do we have available to do that in? Well... We have two years to do something. We formed a small committee, started looking at other options in Rio Rancho, trying to, to honor Matt's original vision and sense of calling by God that we are to focus on the north end of the city, north of Northern Boulevard. So we limited our search to Northern Boulevard and north of here. And what we have discovered is that there just is no commercial place for us to go. Uh, north of Northern Boulevard, um, that is, you know, A, affordable, and B, has enough parking. There is one place that's available, but it has, like, zero parking. Uh, so that won't work. As it is, we're parking in the lot next door, thanks to the landowner over there allowing us to. Um, the second thing is, okay, what are our choices then? Nothing out there to rent, so perhaps we can build. So we have been looking at land options, and land options kind of have to have a convergence of three things. One is location. 
you know, location, location, location. It's got to be in a good place. Second is it has to be affordable. And third, it has to have available utilities. And the land out here that, that so far what we found is that it may meet two of those, but not three. So there are lots that are available over where all this new build-out is happening in Enchanted Hills in the, the new retail district that's starting to build out up there. But that land is incredibly expensive. Um, there is land that's much more affordable off of Unser Boulevard, up by King, but the utilities are so far away that it's going to cost you an arm and a leg and one of your grandchildren to actually bring the utilities to that lot. So there's things that need to converge. So how then do we apply the prayer that never fails to this situation? First of all, corporately. As I've already mentioned, we believe God is blessing this congregation, this group. And he's, the, the obvious evidence of that is, is the growth that we're experiencing. He is blessing this group. Since he is blessing this group, we can be confident that is, it is within his will that this group continue to grow, continue to exist in this community. Right? So we can confidently pray, thy will be done concerning this group, concerning our need. He knows our need for more space. Since he knows our need, he's already picked out a space. We just haven't found it yet. So when we pray thy will be done about this issue, we pray for two things. Lord, show us what land you've already picked out for us. Show us what place. Show us what place you've already picked out for us. Because he knows the need. We just need eyes to see it. And the faith and willingness to act on it when he does reveal it. That's corporately how we can pray the prayer that never fails on this issue. But we can also pray that prayer, thy will be done, in terms of at the more personal level, whether it's, it's you as an individual or you as, as a family. If you too are convinced that this is in accordance with God's will, that we remain in this community, that he has prepared a place for us, and we just have to go out and find it, the next step is we need to acquire it. Now, up until this point, God is, another way that God has blessed this church is that he has always provided, through you, sufficient funds to pay our monthly expenses. So we've been living kind of hand-to-mouth for the last five years now. All right? Never really had much of a bank account beyond being able to cover next month's anticipated expenses. But this summer, and again, I think, Partly, God's demonstration of his blessing on this congregation through growth. We actually have accumulated a small, underline the word small, but a little bit of a reserve so that if we should drop off the planet for a month and for whatever reason you all stop giving, we can at least cover a couple of months now uh, if, if that should happen. Hopefully it won't. But anyway, um, but what we've never had up until this point is a building fund. Well, I need to correct that. Up until a few weeks ago, some anonymous donor put a check in the box and said, um, this is for a building. So we now have a de facto building fund with a little bit of seed money in it. But when you start thinking, how can you pray that prayer that never fails, think about how can you help us acquire the, the space, the facility, the land, build, whatever uh, God leads us to do, to do it. Start praying about, uh, God, thy will be done. Show, show me how you want me to be a part of it. Um, you may be surprised. He may show you things that you're not anticipating. 
I mean, it, it's easy to write, you know, write a check and throw it in. Or for some of us, it might be easy to write a check and throw it in. Some of you, it may be a little bit harder because it may mean you need to do without something. Uh, we heard some examples uh, a couple of weeks ago of uh, one particular family had been planning for about six months, maybe a year, to actually buy a new car, and they'd been setting money aside to buy a new car. And they were faced with a similar situation, and God said, give that money. Your car's good enough for another two years. And they ended up giving what would have otherwise been a, a car payment for two years to that need. So there are th- you may be surprised how God leads you, but if you're praying the prayer that never fails, he will answer. He will answer you. And the question becomes, you know, will we be obedient to the way he's, lead- he's leading us? So those are the things that, that we all agreed uh, you need to be aware of what's going on. You're going to hear a lot more about it over the next few months because here's the timetable. We've got to, we probably need to start planning now to be out of here in two years. If we have to build, that's, take, that's about a one-year process to you know, get the plans approved, get the building up, get it furnished, get in it. So that's about a one-year process. That means we have about one year to find and acquire a piece of land. And in order to do that, that means we're going to have to be able to put some money down at least to get that, that ball rolling. We need to grow a building fund if we're going to do that. So basically the, the challenge sort of starts now for you to begin praying that, that prayer that never fails. What part does God want you to play in it? Um, only you can pray that. I can pray it for me. I can't pray it for you. So, in closing, I want to encourage you and actually invite you to stand with me and with one voice. Let's pray that four-word prayer that never fails. Will you do that with me? You remember what the four words are? Okay. And so, in one voice, we all said, Thy will be done. Thank you.